song. That's a good song and a good man. Love you too, buddy. Thank you so much. I first heard that song in 2004 on a cruise. Uh, we went on a Christian cruise. You say there's no such thing. Well, there was. Paula and I went on with uh, Geraldine Reagan. And uh, the group that sang that and the man that wrote it was on the, the ship. And, and my heart was so blessed. And uh, so I came home and got the song. Anyhow... Uh, I have listened to that song more than any other song. Played it over and over. Drove the family crazy when they were riding in the van and they all memorized it. But thank you, Price. Thank you so much. Price would come to our church in the early 70s and he had these records. Uh, If you young people come to my office, I'll show you what that is. It's kind of like a Frisbee. I still have them, have his records. came over and looked at him. He was excited about it. And uh, my mom and dad, they bought everything he had. He had a stereo in our house. And we listened to those records, my sister and my brother and I. And I'm sure mom and dad memorized those songs. We didn't try to. We listened to it. The songs became a part of us. And you know, the Word of God disciples us and it transforms us. But good music with biblical words do the same thing. Did you know that? And God used uh, Brother Price and others uh, to disciple us. And I'm very grateful to him. He's like a big brother to me. We went to Israel together in 1998. And uh, that was a, a trip, I'll tell you. I want you to turn to Hebrews this morning, chapter 12. In Ephesians 4, in that order, Hebrews chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. And if you'll be patient with me, my voice will come back maybe in just a few minutes. Uh, In the spring of 1985, we moved here from Virginia. This has been my home, but we lived in Alexandria, Virginia for about four and a half years. So we came home in March of 1985, early One morning in May, just a few months later, I was awakened in the morning, I mean just about daybreak, with a very uh, severe pain, the worst pain I had ever felt. And I literally stumbled into the living room, and uh, we were staying with my parents for a couple of months until we could find a place to stay. And I, I fell on my knees, I couldn't even stand up, and had my kind of draped over the couch there and didn't want to wake anybody up, but I knew it reached kind of a crescendo where that was going to be impossible. And because of my my cries and my moans, Paula came in there, and I think my mom came in there and said, what's going on? I said, I have no idea. I I don't think it's a heart attack, but it's hurting me so bad back here. And so somehow, I don't know how, uh, they got me in the car and drove me to the emergency room. And there they did all the diagnosis, what all they do, and discovered I had a kidney stone. Some of you that have had those, you, you understand uh, the severity of that pain. Even after some, some strong painkillers, it didn't knock the pain out. It just kind of knocked the edge of the pain off. I remember Paula was back there with me trying to offer some comfort. 
And, uh, <laughs> you know, when you, ha- when you have a bad pain, all you do is moan. Her brother had surgery this past week, and she was up there helping him. And she texted me. She said, I feel so bad for him. He just is in the chair trying to sleep and just moaning in pain. And you just, you, you can't do anything else. So I was just back in the ER just just moaning and hurting, not knowing how much noise I was making. And so, and so they'd given me everything. I guess not everything, but everything they would give me. And so uh, the nurse came. I can laugh about it now. The nurse came in there and she said, Now, Mr. Johnson, you're going to have to be quiet. i got a heart patient over here and you're scaring him. And... Uh, you know when they give you pain medicine, you're half drunk or whatever. I'm so sorry. I'm just so sorry. And you know, Paul, the great comforter, said, "Now you're going to have to be quiet." I do remember that. And finally, it kind of got settled, and uh, they sent me home with more painkillers. And uh, then my dad came in, and you kind of get in a position where it's kind of just a throb. It's manageable, but it's just a sharp throb. And and you get in that position, you don't want to move. My daddy came in. Daddy said, son, you need to get up and walk around and get that thing moving. I said, no, I don't want that thing to move. No, daddy, I don't want that thing to move. I just want it staying right there. So I was so grateful when I finally passed that kidney stone. And I've had a couple after that. But it's hard to appreciate comfort when you, until you have experienced pain. It's hard to appreciate joy until you have sorrowed. And it's hard to appreciate forgiveness until you're condemned. And it's hard to appreciate healing until you have suffered. And there are people here this morning that are suffering maladies which you need not be suffering. And God wants you to heal. He wants to heal you from these maladies. Uh, One of those is resentment, bitterness. You carry this in your heart. And God has solutions. As long as you reject that solution, it's just going to get worse and worse. And you become toxic. And every environment, your home, your work... The ballpark, the church, wherever an angry, resentful, bitter person goes, they poison that environment. Someone said one time, and it's true, that hurting people hurt people. So you need to take God's medicine. You need to take His remedy. Because if you don't handle your pain of resentment, then you're going to get worse. But that's really not a true statement, full statement, because you don't handle it. It's at the cross of Jesus and what he did when he died on the cross. And he gives you the power and the desire to handle this resentment that we all experience. We talked about that last week. And this is a little series that I started a couple of weeks ago on Jesus the healer. That Jesus can heal you. Uh, sometimes he heals our bodies. Ultimately, we all die, Hebrews 9.27. But there are series in life sometimes, if it's within His plan, He can heal people. I've seen that happen. There are people that happen in our church. But He can also heal your mind. 
And this morning, I want to continue this idea, this truth, how that God can heal your mind from resentment. Because resentment, listen carefully, is something that happens in your mind. Before resentment is an emotion, psychiatrists, psychologists, and some counselors treat it as an emotion or something behavioral, something that's an action. They treat it as a symptom. Well, you need to count to ten or do these things. But resentment is on the inside. It's part of our fallen nature. It's something that's ingrained in me. And uh, the more that I think about it, the worse that it gets. Resentment is the result, listen carefully, of the feelings of past and present hurts, disappointments, and unfulfilled expectations that you keep rehearsing in your heart and your mind, and that's the case. That's the key. You keep rehearsing it. Maybe you go by the same place. You see the same sign. That you, have you ever seen a person that reminds you of the person that hurts you? You don't even know that person. But you dislike them because they have mannerisms or they talk the same way or there's just something about them that reminds you of that other person and you dislike them. Resentment is a very powerful thing. Last week, let me give you some thoughts here. Hang our hat on this morning. Last week, I told you that most people that are bitter don't know that they're bitter. We call it other things. We say that, well, I'm just disappointed. We don't say we're bitter. We say, I'm just, I've been disappointed. I, somebody let me down. Or I'm hurt. Or I'm just trying to get over a situation. Bitterness is not is not hatred. Sometimes we say, well, that, that person is, is bitter. And when we think about it, uh, it, it can turn into that. But we think about someone that just has this angry face and so forth. But before it's that, bitterness is, listen, it's harbored hurt. And I'll, I'll develop this in a moment. But it's hurt that you just kind of harbor and it's simmering disappointment, unfulfilled expectations, listen, that you cannot forget. And it's cultivated here. And it's cultivated in your mind and in your heart, which are similar. And then that resentment begins to grow and you pour gasoline on it with your memories. And then it becomes full-blown into something else. Now let me show you how it develops here. Notice in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, which is, in my opinion, the best verse in the Bible on bitterness. By the way, it's in the context of trials. People are angry with God. They're bitter with God. And it uses a picture of a plant or a tree. Looking diligently, lest Hebrews twelve fifteen, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. God will give you grace to deal with these hurts, these disappointments, these unfulfilled expectations. He'll give you the grace to deal with the memories. Lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now, I told you that the root word for bitterness means to pierce. It means to pierce, to take a, a peg and to, to, to put it in the ground. And, and when you pull the peg out, there's a hole there. It's been pierced. And if you'll notice, there's a 
there's a, a progress here. The word bitterness in verse 15 has the idea of, of your heart being pierced. A person has let you down, and, and they did hurt you. Everybody experiences that. Sometimes it's pettiness. I told you that last week. Jesus said in Luke 17, 1, He said, you're going to be offended in this life. So that's going to happen. But He also said in Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Mature people, I mean mature Christians that are strong in Christ, they're not easily offended. It doesn't say much for you, especially as a believer. If you're easily offended, you get into strong and weak Christians in Romans 14 and 15 and so forth. Bitterness is when your heart is pierced. And then the seed of discontentment is planted. And it's planted in in the hole where that disappointment is. You begin to kind of think about it. And you become uh, discontent. The more you think about it, you begin to add on, and then you begin to look at things to justify your anger. Well, look at there. You know, I never thought about this, but they don't measure up here. And you begin to build a case, and sometimes you don't even know you're doing this. But it's to kind of justify your feelings. So there's the piercing. The seed is planted. And then in Hebrews 12, it talks about a root a root of bitterness. Then the seed turns into a root. Roots are unseen, but they're very powerful. Very powerful. Now, up until this place, everything is hidden and people don't know about it. They don't know about the piercing. They don't know about the seed that's been planted. And they don't know about the root. Because it's the stuff you think about. But the root is firmly established. But then the Bible says it springs up. And now here comes here comes the blossom. Now on the surface you begin to have symptoms. Now here's what I'm saying. Bitterness will surface one day, but the bitterness happens at the piercing. And the piercing is not bitterness, but when the seed of discontentment settles in, that's where the trouble starts. When the root is established, you've got some problems. And sometimes the problem's not the other person. They may have a problem, but you're destroying yourself. Now, all of these things have to do with the way that you're thinking. You think about the piercing. I didn't deserve that. Well, Jesus didn't deserve the cross. Think about the Savior. There's a lot of things in life that aren't fair. Life is not fair. A lot of the stuff that goes on in our culture today is because people think they ought to get everything that's fair. Well, tough. Life's not fair. You know, one thing, if if you learn that, you'll be a happy person. But as long as you cling to fairness, you'll be miserable. The grocery store's not fair. You get in the line and then people go faster than you. And you begin to complain and murmur. And you complain to your husband, your wife, your kids, or whatever. And then nobody wants to be around you because you're, com- you're continually measuring up yourself around how that life is not fair. Or you go get gasoline somewhere and you find it somewhere else that was cheaper. Well, that's, and you wouldn't call it fairness, but that's exactly what it is. You've been pierced. 
a seed of discontentment is planted. The root is established, and then the flowering where everybody can see it. All of these have to do with your mind, with your thinking. The first step to conquering any problem is defining it. You can't confess something that you don't admit it to. Well, this morning you admit that, preacher, I, I, according to that definition, according to the biblical definition, not the one that I've kind of learned that bitterness is this guy with a red face pounding. Now, according to the biblical definition, I've been bitter. Well, guess what? All of us have. Every person in this room has been bitter, and the truth is you've probably been tempted to this week because it's a common thing. That's why he said in Hebrews twelve fifteen, he said, looking diligently, you're going to be tempted toward it. You need to be careful. I'll give you a second idea this morning. Number two, we become resentful toward those that are closest to us. The people that you're going to get the most bitter towards and the most hurt toward are the people that you spend the most time with. That's who you're the most vulnerable to. The most that you have opportunity with. Your family, your co-workers, your friends, your church family. And so, husbands leave wives. Kids don't come home for holidays. Church members leave churches. People leave ball teams. A lot of things happen because of bitterness. I tell you, I believe this. I believe it's the cancer of relationships. I've said for a long time it's the cancer of the church. Just people get hurt. And then, once again, you you get into the equality thing, the equal thing. I'll, I'll show you more about that in a moment. There's an important verse, and I just want to give you one. I could give you others, but because of time, I'm going to give you one. It's interesting. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 19. Look at it. Colossians 3, 19. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Be not bitter against them. Isn't that interesting? Now, I think that's true for wives, too, not just husbands. And kids and parents. But the husband is the leader of the family. I think that's why I addressed him there. Because when you're bitter, you contaminate everybody in the family. And dear lady, when you're bitter towards your husband, you contaminate your children and your culture, wherever you are. Your friends when you come to church. Because bitterness carries its own environment. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Be not bitter against your friends. Be not bitter against your husband. Be not bitter against your parents, against your brother, your sister, against your church family. We're tempted to become bitter, to become hurt, to have a root of bitterness, for the bitterness to begin to flower and surface among those that we know the most and strangely that we even love the most. The biggest problem in the home and the church is hidden resentment. Some of you have carried stuff. Anger hurts for a long time. It's just simmering. You used to love each other, but this, this simmering resentment is there. And it just, it just comes out. Every now and then it bubbles up. 
And I'll tell you what, you're bitter over something. I learned a long time ago, it's not my job to change my wife. It's my job to love my wife. And it's not her job to change me. It's her job to love me. It's God's job to change us. And in a sense, it's it's not my job. I'm to train my children. But I can't change my children. God gives me commands to put my kids in a place. Only God can do that. And anger and bitterness and forcefulness, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. God doesn't even do that. Have you ever noticed how God will just let people go? He does. He, he lets them go. He will judge us at a given time. But we don't do that. We kind of yank them back. You're not going to treat me that way. Like that's going to work. This, this hidden, hidden resentment. In the church, well, I'll show them. I won't talk to them. Well, I have at it. When I see them at the store, I'm, I'm just going to go on the other side. Oh, that'll work. I know I'm being sarcastic, but we're we're so. What is the word in Proverbs? Mm, forgive me for saying we're so stupid. Our, our behavior is such that we we think we have this in control, but it's not. If you deal with your bitter heart, your resentfulness, you won't need a divorce lawyer. The church won't split. You won't have to avoid people when you see them at the store. Bitterness robs you of spiritual power and it robs a church of power. You will not have the power of God upon your life. And no church will have spiritual power when the people in it are bitter. I don't care how big the church is. We talk about purity in the church, and we usually talk about moral purity. Part of the purity is involves bitterness. So this morning, who, who are you disappointed in? As, as I talk about this, who, who does the Holy Spirit bring to mind? Who has let you down? Who didn't fulfill your expectations? By the way, you don't just get angry with people, you get angry with institutions. What institution lets you down? Notice the verse again, looking diligently, looking diligently, Hebrews twelve fifteen. lest any man fail of the grace of God. The word looking diligently means to inspect, inspect your heart. It means to think about this. You need to be on guard, be on guard, look diligently. Be careful. Bitterness will destroy your life. It will destroy your relationships. The third thought, this will be all that I give you this morning. Resentment leads to other sins. Resentment leads to other sins. It Listen, it never stands still. Like a cancer, it grows. And like a cancer, it's destructive. It surely will destroy you and eat your heart up. Take away your peace. Notice in James, this is on the screen, I believe, James chapter 3 and verse 14. Notice this. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, 
glory not and lie not against the truth. Notice the cluster of sins there. Bitter envying and strife. Bitter envying and strife. Envy is not jealousy. Jealousy is when I wish I had what you had. Envy is when I not only wish that I had what you had, but I wish you didn't even have it. Envy is wicked. It's worse than jealousy. Why do people get envious? Well, because they're bitter. It's bitter envying, and that leads to strife, a rivalry. You begin to recruit people to your side, to your position. This is interesting. I saw this this morning as I was praying over this. But if you have bitter envying and strife, notice the next three words, in your heart, in your hearts. Where's that at? It's in your mind. All this stuff happens in your mind. God can heal your mind of bitterness. Bitter people struggle in their heart. This is not actions. It shows in your actions. But that's the surface. The problem is the root and the seed. You've you got to go. Here, here's what you got to do. you got to go all the way back to when you were peers. I'm going to tell you something that's painful. Because you have to accept your responsibility you can't, you can't accept their responsibility, but you have to accept your responsibility for developing a seed of discontentment and allowing the root to cultivate. But, but preacher, it's not my... Well, I know, I know you didn't ask for it and they were wrong. But until you man up and say, you know what? This was wrong. And I've got all of this baggage I'm carrying. and I'm, I lack the peace of God. I don't have any joy. I'm encumbered with all this stuff because I got pierced. And now it's just wrecking me. It starts with your mind. God can heal you of this. And Ephesians chapter 4, notice in verse 31, I ask you to turn there. This is an important text. I've taught you this before, but I want to do it again here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Remember, years ago I was studying this, meditating upon it, and I began to study each word, and I thought, this, this is a downward spiral. This is given in sequential order, and each feeds the other. This is not just a list of sins. Because usually we just think, well, I'll just preach on... Each one of these is a sin. Well, they are, but they feed the other. You will not be angry until you're wrathful. You will not be wrathful until you're bitter. And let me go through this hurriedly because bitterness leads to other sins. And you'll have these in your home. You'll have these at work. You'll have these in church and other places where people you used to love the most when this seed of discontentment is planted. Let all bitterness, that's harbored hurt. I've already taught you that. That's where the seed is planted. And wrath and anger are not the same. The word wrath means uh, a simmering anger. Nobody knows it's there, but you do. You smile on the outside. Hello, brother. Internally, you don't like them. Internally, you, you have cause against them. But you're still able to kind of, you know cultivate with them but you have an issue 
The word anger, now watch this, wrath is simmering anger. Anger is explosive anger. Now there's no pretension anymore. You're tired of the simmering. And now it's just you let other people know that you're upset with this this person. The word clamor there, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. And he has the idea of, of a, a protest, a verbal protest. And it, it's really the way I explain it. It's, it's a negative attitude that is verbalized. And you carry it wherever you go. And it's loud. If you go to a party, inevitably you're going to have this negative spirit with you. And you say, what's, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? Well, they must be having a bad day. No, no, they're having a bad day. They're wrathful and they're angry and they're bitter. They've got this they've got this root and it's beginning to flower. And it's seen in clamor. And then the next one there is evil speaking. Now the New Testament was written in Greek. The word evil speaking there comes from the Greek word blasphemia. We get the word blaspheme. You know what the word blaspheme means? It means to speak evil against, to speak against. So what you're doing is you're, you're blaspheme, blaspheming the name of the person that has hurt you, that wounded you, the, the one that pierced you. It all started with bitterness. So now you're any opportunity, almost, you can't ever speak well of them. If somebody else speaks well of them, you will correct them. Oh, yeah, but let me tell you, are you the institution... Even something as simple as a restaurant. Well, I really like that place. I, I like to go there. They have good stuff. Well, let me tell you what happened to me there. Let me, let, me, let me tell you what happens when you do that. There are people around you. They may not say anything, but they're saying, what is it with them? Now, when they walk away, they're still going to go back to that restaurant because they had a good experience. And, and you don't understand that because you had a bad experience, everybody else didn't. And, and, or maybe a hospital, or an institu- or a church, whatever the institution or personal level. But the blaspheming of people. Someone said this, never trust your tongue when your heart is bitter. Because you're not going to say good things. And then he says, and put away malice. That's kind of the, not the cherry on top, that is the ugly boulder on top. The word malice means evil, wickedness. It means a desire to do harm. It means you get to the place where you want to see them hurt as bad as you've hurt, at least and even to do worse. Where you will even get to the place where you will take their life. It's interesting in Matthew chapter 5, this is illustrated for us, when Jesus said, You have heard that it's been said, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. Jesus said, but I say unto you, he's interpreting what he meant in the law. No, he said, I say, thou shalt not be angry with your brother without a cause. You know know what murder is? You know what anger is? Hatred. It's wishing somebody didn't exist. You know what murder is? It's just making it happen. Hatred is wishing somebody didn't exist. It's up here. And your thoughts, your heart, becomes a reality. That's malice. But it all started 
with bitterness, with the piercing. This is a serious matter. Bitterness leads to other sins. Look at the verse before that in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. The word grieve means to put someone in a state of sorrow from an offense. Did you know that you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Did you know that? This this week I was thinking about this, that how often I grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm sure I did it yesterday. It wounds me to think about that. That He lives in me. That I could grieve God. That He would be grieved with my life. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed. He's in me until the day of redemption, until the rapture. He lives in me. If you're saved, He lives in you. If you're saved this morning, you you grieve the Holy Spirit of God when you sin. You say, preacher, how do I do that? Well, look at the next verse. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, etc. Our resentment grieves the Holy Spirit of God. We lose our fellowship with God. We lose our power. And our resentment, our bitterness, not just this other string of, not just malice, not just the surface stuff, but the hidden things, the woundedness. And God can heal your woundedness and He wants to help you. And when you're wounded, He cares. But when you nurse that wound and you begin to plant seeds and you reject His grace, looking diligently, Lest the grace of God fail you. You reject His grace. You grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And here's rather than receiving His grace, here's what your mind is occupied with. You're occupied with your wound. You're occupied with your offender. And you're occupied with revenge. You're not occupied with grace. You're not occupied with even with yourself, that you've done that to other people. I told you this last week. How how dare we do this? Brother Price mentioned the word Pharisee. We're so pharisaical. Like we don't do... Well, I've never done that. No, you just sin in a different way. You hurt other people in different ways. You've hurt your children. Don't tell me you haven't. You've hurt your spouse. This grieves God. Become occupied with the wound, the offender, and how we're going to get them back. But the problem is, is we end up in a dark place that we regret. And if we, if we don't stop it, we end up in malice and wickedness. Many, many years ago, I was counseling with a man that I had met that had attended our church. And... Uh, he had come here, he was not a member, and he would come here with his family and his children. They sat in the middle where Pam and Andy are, and, and that section right there. And uh, he said, I would like to meet with you. So I met with him. He said, my wife and I are having problems and so forth. And then 
he would meet with me two weeks later, and I would try to help him. One day, he, uh, I rarely do this. I will, you know, sometimes if I know somebody really well, but I don't do this often. He came over to the house, my house, and he said, uh, my wife is leaving me. He was in a real urgent kind of thing. My wife is leaving me. And so I met with him after that some. And when he spoke about his wife, I noticed that his face would contort. And it's this process in Ephesians 4. And it would tighten. And if I spoke about his wife in a positive way or tried to point out any, any positive quality, he would become very angry. She's taken my children. There was not one single positive thing that he could say about her. And he didn't want to hear me say anything positive about his wife. Really, he just wanted to vent to me. He didn't want help. And you can't help people like that. About two years after that, approximately, maybe a year and a half, uh, they divorced. And on Christmas Eve, he called his wife, who was living with her parents, with the children. He said, i got some gifts. Could I bring them to, to the kids? She said, yeah, that would be fine. And so he drove up, and under pretense of bringing the gifts, she came out to the car, and her father came out in the yard to kind of oversee and he, she bent over to get some of the gifts to carry them into the children. He pulled a revolver out, out of his pocket. And the two kids were standing there with their dad, little kids. He shot his wife in the back of the head in front of the children, in front of her father. And of course, she was killed instantly. Her father heard the gunshot. He began to run up towards the house. And, and this man, who was full of malice, began to chase him. And he shot her father, his father-in-law, four times in the back. And he fell inside the house. They took him to the hospital, and he died. They took him to trial. They had... Um, plea of insanity because there was no way he was going to get off with anything else. They even sent uh, an investigator to see me to want to stand up for him. And I said, look, you you don't want me on the trial because he had mentioned how that I had counseled him and I guess they were thinking that well, you know, he's a preacher. He'll be kind of a soft guy. He'll be on our side. I said, you really don't want me on the stand for this. Because I believe in capital punishment. What he did was wrong. I said, it'd be best if you, you didn't communicate that. He's writing to me and any help that he's going to get. Because I'm trying to help him. Any spiritual help. But it wasn't a case of insanity, it was a case of bitterness. 
Are you listening? They had the trial. He was found guilty. They sentenced him to to be executed. And for years, he was on death row in Holman Prison down in Atmore, Alabama. I have letters in my file next door. I don't know if you ever got letters from a prison with a stamp, and this letter has been inspected and so forth. This past year, he, he committed suicide in his cell. He hung himself. And that's, that's, a, that's a sober story. You say, why, why do you tell that? Because that could be your story. And I'm going to tell you something. I could tell some other stories, not quite as dramatic. But it all starts with the piercing. You can't do anything about that. But you can do something about what you're, how you're going to handle that. And you need the grace of God. If you allow discontentment and revenge and anger and wrath and clamor and evil speaking, malice is going to move in. And if it, if it can be done, you can do it. And you're going to end up in a very, very dark place. Would you bow your head with me, would you?